0: Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is a board-certified executive coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks.
1: Well, we're at a kind of a cool number episode 99 and uh we're going to from here uh i don't want to give away too much but episode 100 is truly a milestone marker for us not because it's 100 but because we got some really cool announcements to make and things that we're going to talk about about the jinx perspective uh today is a special episode for a different reason we have a topic. Uh, we have we have a, a a person who is going to discuss a topic with us that I don't know that we've talked much about on this show. Randy Roberts is an MBA, a professional certified coach with the International Coach Federation. She's president of Randy Roberts Coaching, and she's founder of the Fulfilling Career Happy Life Community. In fact, she has a podcast, uh, I think by the same name. We'll get to that here in just a little bit, but she's an executive and career life coach helping people love their work as they achieve their career goals. And That really struck me, uh, Randy, that the idea is not to help people find good careers. The idea is to help people love their work as they achieve their career goals. And um, I, I loved what I read that you have seen too many people develop solid career plans, put tremendous effort in over a lot of years to to at significant sacrifice <clears throat> achieve their goals only to find out that it may not be as satisfying as they had hoped so i want to dig into that because that's a whole different thing about how do you know and how do you get ahead of that curve and what happens if you go off the road on that and where do you turn from there and all that good stuff we coach um a lot of individuals who are thinking about what's next. Maybe they're thinking about retiring from their CEO roles as uh, nonprofit executives and looking for what's next. And then of course we coach some up and coming leaders that are trying to figure out where they're going and, and what they're wanting to do. But um, before becoming a certified coach, Randy had a successful over three decades year uh, career as a pharmaceutical executive And we'll talk a little bit about how she made a jump from pharmaceutical arena into this. I can only imagine the connections that might be, but um, we're excited to talk. Thank you, Randy, for coming on the show. So glad we connected. We had a brief conversation, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago and just really been looking forward to this. So welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much, Patrick. I'm really glad to be here for, for show 99.
1: Yeah, that's a special one for sure. Tell us about, um, just, I'm going to just turn it over to you for a second. Tell us more about you that our bio that I just covered doesn't really, uh, touch on. Tell us the, tell us the journey a little bit and what you're doing and how you got there.
0: Sure. Happy to. So I am now in my second career. And to start with my first, as you mentioned, it was in pharmaceuticals. Started as a sales rep out in California where I grew up and ended up taking, always on the commercial side, lots of different jobs in sales and marketing. And ended up after some twists and turns in what was what I had identified as my dream job. Which was to be vice president of sales and marketing in a big pharma company. So essentially, I was running a billion dollar business. I had 300 plus people reporting to me. I was convinced I was, you know, important and making things happen. But what to me was more important was almost every day of that 30 year career, I was jumping out of bed before the alarm every morning. I loved my work. Yeah. I loved the, Interactions with people, the shifting gears all the time, the travel, the all of it. But the reason that I loved it was I am someone that needs to know that I'm doing some good while I'm doing well. so I, I need my work to make a difference. And helping patients made a difference for me. You know, the pharma industry helps people be healthier, helps extend lives, all of those things. So really being tapped into the good that we did was really motivating for me for a long time. And then something weird happened. Like all of a sudden, I wasn't jumping out of bed every morning anymore. I was just not as excited about my work. The stuff that used to excite me was exhausting me. So I had to do a lot of digging to try and figure out what was wrong. And what I realized was I was too far away from the good we were doing. I was so high up in a big hierarchical organization that I was spending all my time Getting resources for my team, team, aligning forces to make sure we could do what we needed to do, helping identify what what were the problems and how were we solving them, all of that stuff. And it was just, you know, also just some stuff going on in my life. It was time to make a change. So exit career one, try and figure out and enter career two. And I'm one of those people that I consider myself so blessed because career two that I've built is as exciting and enjoyable for me as career one and fits me so well now for this phase in my life. So my own journey has really helped me know how to coach people through similar things and um, I think serves my clients well. So that was a lot of words. (laughs) I'm going to pause and let you ask a question.
1: I'm just, I'm betting that there's a lot of people out there that can relate to so much of what you talked about. It's interesting. We have a, we do some employee engagement metrics in organizations. And one of the, one of the questions or statements in there that people rate is, I'm excited to get up and go to work in the morning. And it's an engagement metric. It's not a job satisfaction metric. It's about how much I love what I'm doing and I'm giving to what I'm doing. I'm contributing. I'm pouring myself into it. Things like, yeah, I'm excited to get up and go to work or the day goes by really fast at work. And that's a question that we rate and it, and it shows that. So I, I got a a question for you right off the bat. You said you went from, I I beat the alarm up out of bed and got to work because I loved it. And I realized the time came where i wasn't doing that anymore mm-hmm. my question is how did you identify what it was cuz you you can say today hey i know what it was it was that i had gotten distance to you know the mission of of helping people and but how did you identify that how did you know and pick it did you have a coach or did it was it obvious what were the signals
0: it, it, this is such an important question um, yes i did have a coach but the the a coach is a great way to do this, but you can do this work without a coach if that's not your thing. We can get into that more later. But I think the it's it really comes down to the inner work of trying to figure out what do you need at this phase of your life, at this point in your career? I mean, we career goals are long-term goals. I mentioned that I had reached my. My dream job. Well, it was a 20 year journey to get there with a lot of work and a lot taking different roles to prepare myself and that kind of thing. And so I changed a lot during the course of those 20 years. I started as someone who was single on my own, could be self focused. Then I had a family, I went to grad school. I took on different roles. I moved for my job. Like there were a lot of different seasons of my life that I went through. And it's really important to check back in, in a purposeful way to find out what's important to you in your life. And are you still working towards the same goal? And I've worked through the, those issues with a lot of clients. And in fact, there's a tool that's available on my website that I I make available free. If anyone's thinking, wait a minute, how do I get started with this? And it's really something I've identified what I call eight pillars of career satisfaction, and it can easily help you dive into what may not be working for you anymore in your current situation. And likewise, what's still working really well. So that's available on on my website. Um, We could talk more about that later. But the reason I developed it is this is not an uncommon problem and people don't know where to start. It's that I describe it as like my career has started to itch and I'm not sure what to do about it. And it starts with figuring out what the problem is, because you got to make sure you're solving for the right thing. Otherwise, you may go somewhere and take the problem with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I see that a lot. That's right. Um, th- we, my, um, I had a mentor once taught me the, the Bob principle. If Bob has a problem with everyone, Bob's the problem. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the Bob principle in leadership.
0: Yeah. What do all these things have in common? <laughs> That's right. Bob. <laughs>
1: the other thing that struck me is you said exit career number one. And, um, so for a lot of people, w- including me, what the journey is, we start career two before we exit career one, or we line up career two before we exit career one. And we decide we reach a point where, okay, career one's got to go now because career two is more than a side gig. And this is what I really want to do. Okay. That's a lot of people's journey. It didn't you, the way you phrased it, it didn't, I, I didn't pick up on that. I picked up that you, you left career one because it wasn't satisfying. And I'm, so that sounds like there was some time that, that passed before you figured out what career two even was. Can you talk about that transition?
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's actually for anyone who's considering doing that, it's a really important point because I think it's really important to plan out. And this is part of understanding who you are and what you need in your life. For me, I had thought about what I wanted career two to do. And I had identified that I wanted to be an executive co- coach. And the reason is I knew how important executive coaches were to me at pivotal points in my career and i really felt like i had a skill there and i had an interest there and with my business background i could make that into something um and i thought a lot about what was the best way to do it because you're right there are people that think oh leap and the net will appear quit your job and and that that hunger that you have the universe will provide and you'll find a way that is right for some people i think that's not necessarily right for most people and it wasn't right for me Mm. so i definitely started doing some planning for me being the support of my family and being very practical and security minded it started with a financial review of how much longer did i have to work corporate how had i prepared for that what would i need to be earning how would i need to ramp that up as an entrepreneur Um, to set the right expectations and put some things in motion. So I went into it eyes wide open, but I knew that I wanted to dive really deep into um, an intense coaching certification program. Again, not always the right way for everybody, but for me, you know, I had a lot of business experience. I had a lot of natural talent. I wanted a toolkit. I wanted to know the specific skills and I wanted a network into this new world so I I was fortunate I got a package when I left corporate which gave me a little bit of a cushion and I spent about 10 months in this really intensive coaching certification program and during that time was able to think ahead towards building the business and things. So that's how I made that transition. But another important part of that was having the right expectations up front. It doesn't happen out of nowhere. You don't, you know, call yourself a coach start some service-oriented business, and day one, have a full client roster. It takes work to get the work. And so setting the realistic expectations helped. I was really clear on how I needed it to ramp up, the number of clients, the amount of revenue I needed in year one, and how that would ramp up to now is year five. And I've achieved those goals, but it it did take time. Um, I think if I had gone into this thinking, well, year one, I'm going to be making as much as I was in the corporate world, I would have been much more in touch with a sense of failure than, wow, that I'm building this step-by-step step and look how well this is doing. And look, look how well my clients are doing as a result of it.
1: That is powerful. And it, it's, um, you are, you're clearly setting a theme here of the discipline, the preparation, the patience. these things have to cook, they have to bake. Um, you, you said it took you 20 years to get to the dream job stage. Yeah. Do you do you coach a lot of leaders who have I don't know, I old guys like me say this is a you know generational thing where people just expect, you know, I'm going to a company and I expect to get promoted in six months and I expect you know, I expect to make this and I expect to get this. And I, I know that's an unfair generalization, but do you get a lot of that of people who just really aren't thinking about The paying the dues part and the letting things bake part. Are there a lot of unrealistic expectations that you come across in your coaching world?
0: Definitely see that. I would say that I don't work with a lot of those people only because that mindset is they're not really seeking out coaching, at least at that phase. Right. And to be fair, there's a lot of dynamic depending on what field they're in. They may step into a consulting job or software engineer or something that's really sought after, and they may get promotions really quickly and they may have a lot of money thrown at them. So it kind of happens that way. I usually start working with people more mid career because they may be facing some of the tougher questions and recognizing there may be barriers in their way or they're not really sure what to do. And, you know, look, my positioning as an executive coach with 30 years of business experience, people will seek me out for that experience and frankly I'm at a price point where they need to be at a certain level to seek out that level of experience. So, I'm not working with folks that earlier in their career that early in their career usually, but I definitely see that dynamic. A lot of the people that I coach may be leading those people. And so they're dealing with some of that dynamic of how do you, how do you hire on this really talented group and set expectations that are appropriate and meet their expectations and create a long-term win? It is a very different workforce that they're leading.
1: Yeah, I've got, um, so I coach them all, but because because I a lot of my coaching is done through Sponsorship, which means the mm-hmm. company is going to um, invest in coaching for their mid-level managers, for example. So the mid-level managers aren't paying for the coaching, but they're benefiting from it. And so I get a lot of them that are at that mid mid career, like what you're talking about, or, you know, some of them are coming in and they're, they're fairly fresh, but they land because of their talent and their ability, they landed in a pretty good leadership role And they're trying to figure out now sort of what's next for them. I have so many questions here that came up when we first met, but you piqued my interest a little bit ago. Um, uh, when you said the eight pillars of career, was it career fulfillment?
0: Career satisfaction.
1: Career satisfaction. Uh I'm wondering if you were willing to walk through those eight pillars with us cuz I'm thinking that would be great content for our listeners who tuned in because they you know they see the they see the topic and they're like yeah I want I want to hear a little bit of this and I'm curious what how, how you've arrived at what these eight pillars are You sure. want to walk through them with us
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the way that I arrived at it, this is, you know, full disclosure, this is not something that you're ever going to see published in a Harvard business review. This is more based on things that I've read, based on things that I've learned from my clients, a great place to start. So this, this tool appeals to somebody who's like, wait a minute, I'm not as excited about what I did, what I am doing as I used to be, or I've just taken on this big new level of responsibility, which is a really important time to get support. And maybe it's not as great as they thought it would be. It's not as good a fit for them. So that kind of a thing, that's where it can help. And some of the pillars include some of the things that I talked about with making a difference. I needed to know, I've always needed to know that my work makes a difference. That's really important for some people. And if if you're high on that and you're still not satisfied, you need to look elsewhere. But sometimes everything else is working and that one's really low and then you might need you might not be mission aligned to your organization anymore or they may not be actually living the mission that they espouse. It may be something like that that you
1: need to So change. before you jump into the pillars, that's really um that I can relate to that. I coach mostly in the nonprofit sector. And it wouldn't Mm -hmm. surprise you to know that when we do motivators assessments on our nonprofit leaders, altruism is the number one motivator among almost all of them. It's not, it's not power. It's not, you know, the theoretical, you've seen these motivating assessments, aesthetics and uh, regulatory, almost every one of them are truly motivated when they do the psychometrics by making a difference for others. So what happens for them is not that they don't feel like they're making a difference for others anymore, but the stress of what it takes in in the sector in particular, I guess the nuances of the challenges of scarcity and everything else in the nonprofit sector, those stresses start to wear down on them to the point of it's, it's just almost not. It's just almost not worth it anymore because if I can't bring my best to this anymore, then I'm not, then the altruism has gone because I'm not helping the people the way that I want to help them anyway. But it just dawns yeah. on me that these individuals that I, most of the individuals that I coach are in this work and in this sector because like you, and even in the pharmaceutical world, you're, you're wanting to make a connection between the work you do and the value it brings to someone else. So I just wanted, yeah. I just wanted to interject that.
0: I think that's so important. I know to, to your listeners in particular, and I, I've been on board of a couple of nonprofits. I've been very engaged in some different causes and I love that world. I mean, those, the people that do that work, uh, they are motivated well beyond the money, the perks, those things. It's really, (laughs) they better uh, be. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's like an internal fire. Um, But it, it is very true that they need to take care of themselves. And what I find is a lot of times the people that are so other focused don't give themselves permission to think about what's making them happy. And if, are they doing the work that's still lighting them up? And it's, you know, the old, uh, analogy of put your own oxygen mask on first. Right, if you are depleted, you aren't going to be able to help others in the same way. So it's not selfish. It really does, you know, taking care of yourself and figuring out what you need really does enable you to help others. And in fact, you know, I believe in it so strongly in my client roster. I I have certain revenue targets and things for my own business, but I have two slots that I reserve for people who either are students. So they're earlier in their career because I do have a few of those or people that do do nonprofit work because they need the help and they sometimes can't afford the help. So I absolutely believe in that, that making a difference is critical, but they need the other things too. And they don't often let themselves look at it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Um, Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. You were about to walk through the eight pillars with us.
0: No, not at all. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So making a difference is one. Some of the other ones, and I'll go through them quickly because I think if people are interested, they can take themselves through the, the assessment in more depth. And in fact, there are people that enjoy taking themselves through an assessment. There are instructions there to do it. It's easy. But if you'd rather go through it workshop style, I actually have a video on my YouTube channel that that I can take them through that if that's a better learning style for them. And that's fulfilling career, happy life. Awesome. Um, So the other um, pillars of career satisfaction are growth, challenge, balance, connections, leadership, which might be their own leadership, the leadership of their company, that kind of thing, contentment which is everything's kind of satisfied for them. Things are feeling good. Um, and then the last one might surprise you, but it's fun.
1: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all, actually. Okay. I'm, I'm really, I'm, all these make just perfect sense. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned, you know, this isn't a peer-reviewed Harvard, you know, business thing uh, model. Th- those are sometimes not the ones that really resonate. You I mean, you've got the business experience and the coaching experience you know, and it's funny how much I've learned from my coaches because I spent 20 years in organizational leadership, uh, you know, leading organizations. So I've got the leadership experience, but I get, I get now, now I've been in the coaching world long enough where I've learned more from my coaches than I did in my career because they're just brilliant, bright, amazing, talented, successful, competent people. And I, I love coaching them because I learned from them. And that I, so I've got models like these too, <clears throat> not this one, but mm-hmm. models and frameworks that you develop over time. That you just see, this is just, this is a pattern it repeats itself over and over and over. These are the things.
0: It, it, it so is Patrick. And I don't know if you find this, but there may be a topic that comes up and this is part of how I developed it. There may be a topic that comes up with a client. And then I don't know if it's that all of a sudden I've dialed into it as something important, But I may have a similar discussion with four or five clients over the next two weeks about that topic. So then it's like, okay, this needs to be a podcast episode, or this needs to be something that I write about in an email. It seems to come in waves like that. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I there's a um, a particular concept or theory that I use all the time in my leadership coaching and training. I believe it's one of the core tenets, um, and that is self determination or self determination theory, which um, is a psychological construct that plays out in the workplace. And um, if anyone's, it, I always promote this book too. If anyone's interested in in a sort of layman's version of it, Daniel Pink's book Drive really talks about self-determination theory and he basically is saying, or self-determination theory says there's three things that your employees want autonomy, competence and relatedness. As I look at this list, you can, pretty easily fit almost all of them into one of those three. And if you think about it for another 10 seconds, you can put the rest of them in there, be making a difference. That's that relatedness. I need to feel like I, there, I, I, I'm identifying with what I'm doing. I have a sense of belonging with the mission and with the, the leaders that I'm working with because I, I'm connected to the mission and the work growth is competence. I want to, I want to be good at what I do. I want to get better at what I do and I want to be recognized for it. You know, challenge that's autonomy. You know, the sense that I have some control over not only how my job gets done, but how well it gets done. Uh, So all of the connections is relatedness. You know, leadership is autonomy. Uh, Every single one of these, if you, if you did want to really say, you know, this is research based (laughs) more, every single one of these falls into somewhere into that self-determination construct And, um, and I'm not surprised by it. It it all fun is relatedness and autonomy. And sometimes the, you know, it fits into the competence piece. So I appreciate you sharing those. Those are, those are really good. Um, the, uh, assessment too, I, i saw that online and I want to take that myself just really, again, to see what those things are. I can tell you straight up, I'm beyond fulfilled in my own career. I think it would be interesting to see how I sort of felt you had two careers. I think I had six, Um, but you know how, how I felt during those transition periods. Um, Randy, I want to shift. I got, I got several things I'd like to cover with you during the time that we have. And one of them is a lot of the people that we work with, the nonprofit sector, much of the leadership, the executive leadership is aging out and not that they can't work anymore, but that they are they're, they're at the end of their nonprofit careers. Many of them want a next career after retirement and not just, I want to volunteer at the hospital, right? They, they want a career. They, many of them want to move into consulting perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, do you, do you, do you talk a lot with, um, sort of the what's next in terms of I'm retiring from one career moving, maybe military or, you know, academia or any of those who are looking for, something completely next, not because they're dissatisfied, but because they just, it's time.
0: Yeah, I have worked with many clients on exactly this issue of, you know, and it, it looked, the question looks a little bit different for different clients. It might be, you know, I've reached where I wanted to be. I'm doing really well. I need to wind this down. I need to, they may be thinking about their legacy. They may just be thinking about practicalities of it's time you know, for whatever reason, themselves or the organization, it's time they may need to work or they may just want to work. So I actually I've worked with a lot of clients on exactly this and and how to prepare themselves for it. Yeah.
1: And I'm imagining these eight pillars apply again. It's not like they only apply for the first career, right? Or the, the main one. They just um, they apply again. And what strikes me, too, about these eight pillars as I'm looking at them again, none of them are None of them are industry-specific. None of them are technical competency-related. None of them are of an intellectual nature necessarily. These are all just things that just make us... I guess that's why you use the word career satisfaction because these are the things that just satisfy us. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm thinking, I'm thinking out loud and about. It. I'm, I'm just never mind me. I'm over here just looking at your eight pillars, going, "Wow, my wheels." You are You don't
0: turning. have to <laughs> apologize for finding my work important. I'm all
1: about that. <laughs> my wheels but are turning. Here, here's
0: the way to view this, and that's why I, you know I I'm humble about it. I say this is this isn't a, a you know peer review journal kind of thing. It's a starting point. Yeah. So, for example, it's if someone scored themselves low on challenge, that's it's an opportunity to ask more questions. It in and of itself doesn't provide you an answer, but it's like, what do I need on challenge? It might be intellectual. It might be that I'm not learning things outside of my own company. I need to know what the industry is doing. It might be, I want to explore other careers, that kind of thing. So it's a place to, okay, if I'm low on challenge, what does that mean for me? And that's how I would pursue that. And it's a similar kind of conversation, you're right, with folks that may be thinking about retirement or what's next. Like a lot of people react negatively to the word retirement. It's sort of what's the next phase Mm -hmm. and yeah, what's working for you? What are you missing? But thinking about what do you need in some ways, maybe what's working for you is even more important than because you know what you need to replicate. Like one of the things that, that we, easily talk about, or maybe not easily, but it's, it's sort of instinctive is what's my financial situation. Can I retire and when, because when clients will come to work, work with me, they may be in their forties even, or or early fifties say. And it's, you know, one of my questions early on often is how much, how long do you want to work? Like, what is your runway? When are you thinking of retiring? Which they may or may not communicate to their, To their current workplace, to their boss, to whoever. But what are you thinking about? Because that, you know, the financially you can plan to that, but it's all the other stuff. It's the, what are you going to do for intellectual stimulation? Like people don't want to wake up the next morning and be bored and not know what to do. And I would say a lot more of my clients will say to me, I may talk to them, you know, three months later and the conversation is around, how did I ever have time to work? Because they've got hobbies, they're doing volunteer work, they're seeing family, they're doing the things that they didn't do. But what I find is that time will get filled up. If you've done some forethought and some planning, it can get filled with the things that you want to fill it with.
1: I had an executive coach that my organization invested in for for me. It was a wonderful, what a great asset and resource he was. And one of the things he said to me was I had just become CEO of this $10 million nonprofit and it was the largest CEO role that I had ever had. And I was really scaling up. I was going to, you know, from running a a million dollar organization with five people to, you know, a $10 million organization with 30 staff and a big board and a big community. And one of the things he told me when he did the assessments and he talked to some people in my 360, he said, Patrick, you're going to need you're going to need to find some outlets somewhere for some of the skill, some of the talents and gifts that you enjoy doing because the CEO role in this organization is going to demand so much from you. It's going to take away bandwidth for, from some of these things and, and that's, that's worrying me, right? I'm concerned wow. about that because if you get to a place where you don't have an outlet for these things in some way, it's, it's really going to get you. And, and I, it resonated when he said it because I thought cognitively that makes sense. And it wasn't long before I realized, boy, I get what he was talking about here. Like you, there's just not room for it. And so those have to align those things, you know, and this is, this is where in, in the motivators, we talk about how leaders need to help their people connect the work that, that you need them to do with their internal motivating motivators. If you, if you can make that connection, know what motivates your people and, and put them in roles where they can fulfill that. Yeah. They'll lie down in traffic for you. But
0: it's, (laughs) it's interesting what you say in that conversation. I mean, it, it stuck with you. It obviously was a really important conversation. The CEO role is so different Mm -hmm. than what a lot of other roles are. And in some ways, I mean, you've had this experience in some ways you can't know what that's going to be like for you until you step into it so it's really wise to get that support and and uh you know prepare for that and make sure that you're staying well-rounded so that you continue to get have your fuel source if you will because you could get burned out you yeah. know it, it's interesting and you know you mentioned that this was a conversation with a coach you were working with and i have found also when i've in my career my first career When I took on big new levels of responsibility, it was so important to have a coach. And it was so transformative for me because you have a lot of these, if we weren't on a podcast, I might use a different word. I'll call it holy smokes moments. I don't know what to do. And you need a safe place to talk it through and verbalize your thoughts and even verbalize your fears and uncertainties. Like those moments are really important to have that support. Or when you're facing a big you know, an obstacle kind of thing. And I used to be really um, quiet about the importance of coaching in those moments because it felt self-serving. Well, I'm a coach. I can't talk about how important coaching is. That's all about you. But the truth is I am not, I don't talk about coaching because I'm a coach. I am a coach because I know how important that coaching is. And if I don't talk about that, I'm not helping people, which is why I do this work. So I don't sort of diminish that message anymore. And I'm so glad you brought up the importance of that moment and the support you had at that time.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously you and I are biased. We believe in coaching, right? (laughs) Yeah. Just a little. Um, But it, it really is. And, and, it isn't it is important to I always describe a uh, coaching is a lot like photography and here's how when digital cameras came out suddenly a million photography careers began because everybody could be a photographer <laughs> like it just photography businesses popped up everywhere you know Joe Smith photography and you know And coaching has taken a very similar journey because it's become more and more popular. And so people go, no, that's what I'll do. I'll be a coach. I'll get, you know, joescoaching.com. I'll be a coach. I'll coach people. I'm good at coaching people. Mm -hmm. What I love about the profession is it is more and more becoming professionalized. And I would say even it's been, it's becoming vetted. And it is, um, there's some real construct and framework. I mean, you are a professional certified coach through the international coaching federation. Um, I am board certified through the center for credentialing and education as a coach. I'm not saying you have to have that kind of credential, but people do need to be careful about what's out there. There's, there's, I mean, everybody's a coach now, a a health coach, a life coach, a career coach, a wellness coach, they're everywhere. And that's awesome. That's awesome that it's that accessible. But I think, you know, the coach that I had when I was there was so powerful for me because he knew what he was doing. There was a, there was a model, a construct. He had the experience. He had the training. He listened intently. He knew uh, how to draw it out of me rather than, you know, putting everything on me. And uh, I think that's really important, and I'm just glad to see the co- the profession of coaching continue to elevate.
0: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting dynamic that you talk about because you're right, and and there's different ways to do this. And I know for myself, the reason that I followed the trained, certified, accredited path was because I also am hired by corporations to work with their people, their leadership teams. Similar for you. Um, but we are in this world of coaching and it does feel like there are so many coaches, but it surprises me. There's still a lot of people that don't know what coaching is, yep. that don't know how available it is. And I would say for anyone who's listening, the most important thing is the chemistry and the connection with the coach. 100%. And so interview a couple of people, meet with them and see who feels right for you. Like I've got 30 years of business experience That's a huge benefit to a lot of my clients. But if we don't fit together, they should pick somebody else. So, you know, trust your gut on this is is kind of my message.
1: Yeah. And the challenge I have sometimes, I don't don't know if you have these uh, assignments or or engagements, Randy, but, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that some of my coaches are sponsored. So the CEO goes to their leadership team and says, hey, I'm getting a coach for you. And here's who he is. And he'll be contacting you. And you're going to do six months of coaching with him. And I've done that before and sometimes it works well and sometimes it doesn't work that well. And when it doesn't work that well, it's, it's often because they were not given a choice in that, at least some exposure to, so I, you know, I've learned now when I'm, when I'm working with an organization at a deep level like that, um, I want to have some exposure to those leaders and then I want the CEOs to go back to those leaders and say, you know what's your comfort level if we were to engage Patrick with you as a coach? At a minimum, we want to do that because we need to give them the autonomy and the um, the agency to to be able to say, ah, you know, I'd rather have a female coach, quite honestly, or you know, I'd rather have a a, a person of color coach me based on you know kind of where I am and what I'm I'm working on in my career, and uh, or I'd rather have someone who I don't know there was just something uh, about Patrick that I don't know would gel. They need to be able to say that because if they if they're not in, it, it you're off to a start. You don't have the openness and the trust that make coaching work. And without that, you're just wasting sixty minutes on a phone call.
0: Yeah, I've had that experience as well. I agree with you.
1: So I appreciate that on the on the um, the chemistry piece. There there has to be a connection, a trust, uh, uh, you know, some kind of vibe there that we're a comfort level. I guess mm-hmm. would be the word. Um, all right. I got a question for you. How do you help people overcome? uh, There's a wall in front of me and I'm, I'm out. I can't grow any further. this or there's no more growth room left in this organization. I don't know where else to go. I can't, you know, we get all the, I get all these stuck things. Like I can't move because my wife or my husband work here and, and, you know, I got, I have to work, but there's no more room for growth for me here. I'm just, I feel stuck how do you get people unstuck?
0: Yeah. And it, it comes up a lot. And especially like, you know, for nonprofit organizations there, they may not be huge organizations and there are limits to how, how high up you can go. So, you know, that's real for a lot of people. I would say in some ways, it's not that different than I'm dissatisfied overall in terms of digging in and understanding, What's missing? What do you need? There may be things you can build into your job right where you are that can dial up some of that satisfaction. So there may be new projects that you can take on or or ways to mentor others or or build out a new offering, that kind of thing so that, you know, it may be something you can change where you are or it may be time to make a move. In which case it's still valuable to think about what works for you and what doesn't because in the case of uh, someone who works in a nonprofit, you want to go to an organization and where you connect with that mission and so you need to be selective about the kind of organization you would go to how are they run what's the makeup are they actually living the values that they espouse those kinds of things so Knowing what you need, knowing what lit you up when you, you know, think back to the time when you were really excited about your work. And in the example you gave, when you were really growing, what was working for you, that kind of thing. And then, you know, that can help you to replicate it either where you are or somewhere else.
1: I, this coach that I mentioned to you before, this is, I I picked this up from him and I use it now in some of my 360s, not all of them, but His, um, the 360 degree assessment he did on me was uh, through the use of interviews. And so he would contact and, and have, you know, 20 minute interviews with stakeholders, my wife, my, my, um, former boss, my, uh, some of my peers, a list of, I want to say about eight people that he talked with. And he asks two questions among others. One is what is Patrick doing? What lights him up? What's he doing when he's at his best when he's truly in the zone and you can tell this is, I mean, he's in it right now, what's he, what's happening, what's going on. And people will tell, Oh, well, you know, when he's, when he's on a stage speaking, you know, get out of his way, he's like all on, uh, or, um, you know, when he's in an environment with, and and they would describe that. And then the next question is, give me the opposite. What, what brings, what takes his energy away? Well, what will kind of bring him down and, and even, even shut him down. What are those, what are those, um, You know, demotivators, what's going on then? What are, looking back, what are the situations there? And I love those questions and it was really enlightening to me to get people's feedback on that and they were spot on and it really helped understand, again, going back to the outlet thing, what it is I need to pay attention to because some of those non-motivating things turns out too bad. Some of those things you have to do. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. You're you're the CEO. You're going to have to do some of these things. So being aware that other people see when my energy level drops, my engagement level drops, they can see it even when I don't realize I'm showing it. That's a, that's a really powerful thing. So I love that. I forget what you, you said something that made me think of that about, oh, you said lit up, you know, you're not feeling lit up anymore. And I think that's a good thing for people to pause and go. What does light me up? And am I getting that at work at all in any form in any way?
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. And the reality is you can't be lit up all the time or you burn out, right? (laughs) right. Yes, So you need those times in between. And I think sometimes to that extent, like you want to do as much of what lights you up as you can. But in the in-between times, it's really about mindset, because for me, (laughs) Even doing tasks that I really don't love and they're running my own business. There are plenty of them. Um, but the mindset that I try and bring to it is okay. Getting these proposals out or reviewing this marketing material or whatever getting through that is going to make the next client that I see just even that much more enjoyable. So you got to have those, you know, it's a roller coaster, and you got to have the dips in order to have the highs. And sometimes it's just the mental games we play with. It it is. You have to consciously
1: connect those, those medial tasks with the bigger you have to consciously do that. It's hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It can be. Yeah.
1: You also said something a while ago that I think I don't, I want to go back to and I want to just let it, go too fast. Oh, I don't want people to miss it. You talked about how growth doesn't necessarily have to equate to a job promotion to a new title or whatever, that if I can find something that gives me a sort of new thing to work on or challenge, that's great advice for leaders who have team members who may be getting to that stuck feeling. Um, because that's something leaders can do. give delegate something of significance to me even if I don't get a raise or a title change for it. Help me grow at least help me fulfill that i'm I'm moving to the next level. Give me some delegate significance. give me a project to lead. give me um, you know, at challenge, challenge, put that challenge back in, go back to the eight pillars and see, you know, are there, is there any more I can get out of these eight pillars for this person It's great advice for a leader to think about their people, not just themselves and how, how stuck they are.
0: Yeah. It's so important what you're saying. And I think, you know, something that occurs to me is you mentioned the coach that you worked on did that 360 with stakeholders. And I've done that too. Although I have to say I've never interviewed anyone's spouse, which is an interesting thought, but those kinds of questions could be something that a leader could ask people. If you think that they're, you know, obviously if there's an area of I'll call it deficiency or growth opportunity, you want to focus on that in a different way. But if you have somebody working for you who really is doing a great job in a lot of areas, but maybe topped out in terms of growth, there might just not be a place for them, or they may not want a different job. They may want what they're doing. Doing that kind of a 360, almost like a stay interview versus an exit interview, Mm. may be a great way to go and ask them what lights them up. What are they, when are they at their best? You may be able to find more of that for them to do.
1: Um, you just introduced a term to me that I love a stay interview. What a great concept. You know, we, we have a come to us interview and we have a, you're leaving us interview. How many of those stay interviews do we have? We don't, ah, we, that's where we miss the opportunities. And by the time, by the time a person is at a place of leaving, we've missed the signals <laughs> We And we might have been able to mitigate uh, the dissatisfaction. And we might've been able to, if we just pause and to have those stay interviews, I love that term. Yeah, that's great. Um, Randy there, there's just so many different areas that, that we could go and, and, um, uh, we may have to, we may have to do a version two of this conversation, but, um, I, I do want to thank you again for coming on. I want people to go to your website and and check out those resources. It's Randy dot and Randy is R-A-N-D-I, Robertscoaching.com. Randyrobertscoaching.com. Um, her podcast is there. Look at her YouTube channel, take the career assessment. And if you're at that place, you know, I don't I don't do really career coaching. It may be, maybe I do as a uh, as sort of a piece of executive coaching that I'm doing, but career coaching is a different thing. It's a very, it's a discipline. It's a a very specialized thing and um, I'm, I'm glad to have someone like you that I know that I can point people to in this direction. However, <clears throat> before we wrap up the, the conversation, I've got a couple of questions for you, Randy, that I like to ask all of my guests. And you're, with your journey, I'm, I'm really uh, excited to hear uh, what, what your response is to these two questions. The first one is, I love stories about leaders in people's lives um, and why they've had an impact you know, I just gave you one, for example, my coach, you know, who obviously had some things stick with me and we, we've got, I've got a million of them, but there are those certain leaders that, you know, there was a moment, there was a pivot point was something that they, that, that sort of drives me forward. Who, who would that be for you?
0: Yeah, there, there are a number of them and, you know, Truthfully, I've I've had some fantastic bosses and leaders in companies. I've had a few clunkers. I think maybe we all have if we work for enough, right? So, and I've learned a lot from them about what not to do. But the ones that that really stand out for me, the theme is the the confidence and the authenticity that they bring to their leadership, and and sometimes the way that comes out. I mean, they. They lay out a vision and they, you know, are consistent with that. But sometimes it's the humility that makes the biggest impression is recognizing that maybe they don't have all the answers and bringing the smartest minds together to figure it out and then giving people credit for their contributions. So I think that's kind of the thread that goes through it is that authenticity, the humility and the willing to share credit.
1: Wow. Well, you might've gotten a tad into my last question. I don't know. We'll see. Um, my last question for you is if you had a megaphone and you had, you know, 30 seconds to speak to all the leaders of the world in every sector, in every dimension, and and, and you had your moment to share your number one piece of advice for all leaders. What is that Randy Roberts tenet of leadership?
0: I have to tell you, I just felt the weight of your question. If I'm speaking to all leaders across the world, it it feels like a big job. So uh, off the top of my head, what would I tell them? I mean, I do think that it's possible to be strong and be authentic. And I would stick to that. And I would also say, I feel like. Our world needs more kindness right now and it's possible mm. to be strong and be tough and be all the things you need to be to deliver and still be kind.
1: Wow <laughs> okay well I didn't feel any pressure there Randy that just sounded thank you for that reminder. and and yes, you can be both. you can be authentic you can be strong you can even be strong and be vulnerable um, Just be kind. I love that. Randy, thank you so much. Uh, for your time. I do want to direct leaders back to your site, uh, RandyRobertsCoaching.com. And we will see you all for episode 100. You're not going to want to miss it. Got some cool stuff to announce to you and tell you what we're doing. Lead on, folks.